0: Hello or Bonjour, this is Thomas Chatterton Williams, your host for Americans in Paris, a podcast of the American Scholar and the American Library in Paris. Today I'm speaking with Jordan Mincer, a writer, producer, and film critic born in Queens, New York. He produced Matt Porterfield's feature films Hamilton, Putty Hill, and Solars Point, and is co-writing and producing his upcoming hip-hop movie, Check Me in Another Place. Based in Paris, Jordan works as a film critic for The Hollywood Reporter, covering French and international cinema. He's the author of the interview books, Conversations with James Gray and Conversations with Darius Kanji. His writing has appeared in Le Monde, The New York Times, *Cahiers du Cinéma, and many other places. Full disclosure, in addition to being a brilliant critic and producer, Jordan is also my dear friend, and we are riding out the eight-week long COVID-19 lockdown together, not in Paris, but near the town of Gironde, on the west coast of France. This interview was recorded in the cow pastures bordering his mother-in-law's house. Hey, Jordan, how you doing? I'm all right, hanging in there. So I was thinking, we've known each other a decade now in paris you your son was born in 2010 and that's right around when we met right right exactly the my son was born in 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 a clinic in paris and there was a girl there
1: um, and we became friends with her she had a baby as well and her sister is your wife and i remember you i think she was still living in new york with you at the time your, your Valentine. Yeah, we were in Brooklyn. Right. And, um, and, and And I was told about you. And she said, oh, my sister's married to this guy from New Jersey. And I was very intrigued because I'm from Queens. And I respect people who are what we call bridge and tunnel people in <laughs> New York City. That means people who aren't from Manhattan.
0: Yeah, I know my own convoluted Path to Paris, but how did you uh, how did you go from Queens to to Paris? <laughs> Queens uh, via the Bronx and Baltimore, and then
1: finally to Paris. Um, but yeah, I, I met a French girl uh, when I was in my last year of college, and I was saying that yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, people who uh, come to France, Americans, I know, it's either they uh, you know they've either met a French girl or a French boy, and that's that's one thing that drives people to move to France. Um, and so in my case, it was a girl. And um, I met her when I was in, I was at Baruch College in the city in New York. And uh, she was teaching up at Smith in Northampton. And we had this kind of long distance thing there. And she moved back to France. And after I graduated college, I really wanted to leave New York. I was sick of it. I grew up in, in the city, even if it's Queens. And and uh and i wanted to be somewhere else and i was in baltimore for a bit and i did a film there uh and then after that you produced a film produced a film there uh, with a director who i still work with named matt porterfield and then um after that i was like hey i'll try paris for a bit and i was still going out with this girl and so i i spent a few months and i was i had a visa student visa to study french at at the sorbonne in the Corps de civilisation which is this program for foreigners to learn french and then I rather quickly got a job uh, in a law firm doing international tax law, and it was pretty well paid at the time. I remember at the time, this is how old I am in France, that when people asked how much I made, I'd have to tell them in francs because they. What year was this? This was 2002, and the euro had just started in 2001, right. and so people were, you know, people were still really used to talking in France.
0: You've so, been in France for 18 years. Uh, that Yes. Don't, I hadn't put that together I've almost
1: been as long in France as, as, I, as I well in the U.S. I, I moved when I was about 20, 23, I guess, 24. Okay. So, um, yeah. You're like, a real expatriate. Half my life. so it's. Uh, That's
0: right. You, you have one of the more interesting uh, expat profiles out here. You supported yourself in your move through tax law, but all the while you were also producing... Um, increasingly ambitious independent films, and then you became the Hollywood Reporter's man in Paris, uh, and a critic who was going to Cannes every year, yeah. the film festivals in Berlin and all these places. And you kind of, you you, you, you had you have the both uh, both bases covered. You have the practical side and the artistic side. Well, yeah, I
1: thought the practical side. My parents were always like, you need to get a real job, and you know, you need to get a degree in business. They were very adamant about that not a, they weren't adamant about a lot of things but they really were like you need to have like something because because doing film or writing or art is just something that you know you won't make a living so I did follow them I guess in that in that respect and and so I did this tax thing but all the while I was always like working with this director Matt and you know we had other film projects over the years that we try to get off the ground and I, I was writing about film you know for fun I was writing for this now defunct um English language pa- newspaper in Paris called the Paris Times and it was still when there would be like free paper Monthlies and weeklies, and there was this thing called the Fuzak, which mm-hmm. was like where everybody would, the job listings were for all the expats, and that's actually how I found my job at the law firm. I remember I had two. Wow. I remember I was I had two job interviews. It was at the law. One was at this law firm, and one was at the Hard Rock Cafe to be a waiter. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was like I, I two had, different tra- trajectories. I, well, right, because I had been a waiter in New York when I was in college and worked in restaurants, so I had that experience. And then I had some business experience from being in school and I worked as an accountant while I was in college. So so I, I had this, so that was like my two things I can try for. I mean, probably luckily I, I got the job at the law firm not the Hard Rock Cafe because I'm not sure I'd still be in Paris. Um, but then, yeah, I, I, I started writing for this thing the Paris Times was a free weekly, a free monthly. And I, I had a film column that I kind of created. It was all for free. It was a, a girl I knew and she let me do... Uh, said, you know, go ahead and, and write whatever you want. And I had this idea to visit um, locations, like kind of landmark locations of certain movies in Paris, like for instance, Breathless by Jean-Luc Godard. The end of the, <laughs> the last scene in the film when the character is running on a street and dies is a street um, in the 14th arrondissement. And so I went and I photographed the street exactly the same way he had done it. And then we kind of, it was like a then and now column mm-hmm. about these, oh, these classic yeah. French films in Paris and what the street and the location looks like now. And I started doing that and it was really for fun. I did it for a few years. And one day I got a call, uh, an email from um, actually the international head critic for Variety in, in Los Angeles, but he was based in London. And he said they had fired their critic in Paris and they, and they were looking for somebody and they found me based on this Paris times thing, which is crazy. Cause I don't think anybody amazing, read what yeah. I did. And he's like, we need somebody who speaks French and can write about film.
0: And so they tried me out and I got the job. Yeah. And so you yourself, let's talk a little bit about your work. You've been somewhat of a transatlantic commuter going back and forth uh, every few years to produce a movie. Your last movie, Solar's Point, you were in Baltimore shooting that, uh, what, 2017? Summer of 2016. 16. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, them, and tell yeah. me a bit about that movie, how it came about and what, what that opened up for you. Well, that was uh, so that was the four, So this is guy, Matt. I talked about Matt Porterfield and I,
1: we met in college together and then he went to Baltimore and I produced his first feature in 2002 just before moving here, which was a really small feature that, you know, we shot. What was it, for called? It. it was called Hamilton, mm-hmm. like the musical. Um, we're hoping actually when Hamilton, the Hamilton, the movie, they're making a movie of the musical. And then when, when it's made people accidentally buy our DVDs <laughs> or our VOD or whatever, instead of the real one, but yeah, it's a small little kind of movie, really lovely film is set in Baltimore and, you know, in, in, in the suburb, just outside of the, the downtown Baltimore called Hamilton. That's where Matt grew up. And it's a story about a family and, and, a, and a mother who has a kid and the dad is kind of like a deadbeat dad. And she's looking for the dad one day uh non-actors we made it for like fifty thousand dollars which is nothing for a feature um and you know it was very hard to make you know we had never made a feature before matt and i kind of had like a bit of a falling out at the end of the shoot it was difficult we were like you know we didn't we were we were very young uh and then it took a while to finish the movie and but matt persisted and he finished it probably four years later actually so from 2002 to 2006 the movie was not done and you know he but then he started working on it and he edited it we had to raise a little more money we finished the film the film got rejected from every single festival in wow. the world and made its world premiere at the wisconsin film festival so <laughs> i thank the wisconsin film festival for making the premiere of this film and you know we were pretty disheartened but at the same time you know it was our first film we didn't really know what would happen with it and then i had would known the people at anthology film archives in new york which is a great old you know art house independent theater in the in the east village um and so i I showed them the film and they liked it and they decided to program it for a week and when you program a film for a week that means that you get covered by the new york press at least that was the case at the time it's a little different now at the time you were guaranteed a new york times review and other reviews wow really if you did a one week run in a new york theater so we had a one week run in an anthology in the summer we had never gotten one review before nobody had written about the film and the first Review we get that comes out on Monday is from the New Yorker, Richard Brody, who says, like, the film is a masterpiece and Matt is a genius. (laughs) And we were like, what? You know, because we really, like, nobody had seen this film and it was really small. And that changed. Shout out to Richard Brody. Yeah, shout out to Richard Brody, who definitely supports American independent film. Uh, And we, uh, and so that really changed everything because Matt, you know, kind of people discovered him because of that review. And then the film, we also did get other really good reviews including and i'm very proud of a great review in the new york post which i was shocked at because the film is like a you know it's an, a small art film not a lot of narrative very minimalist i thought the post would hate it and the guy was like this is great and i was like all right well if you get richard brody on one end and new york post on the other that
0: shows that maybe the film you got is, range yeah. yeah a little so so that was so that that launched how, how did you how did you know you could produce how did you Was it the naivety of not knowing that you couldn't do it that
1: allowed you to do it? Probably. um, I had worked in... When I was in college, even if I went to business school, I worked in film production over the summers, and I had an internship at a film production company, and I spent about two years working in film, so I knew, like the basics like you to shoot a film you need money and you need a camera and you know it's like it's not
0: that <laughs> oh, really? complicated yeah right? i never no. thought of it that way before. but i knew how i
1: knew how to kind of put together a shooting schedule and like a budget and basic and i had a few producer friends uh notably this girl named susan lieber who's a great producer in new york who worked for hal hartley for a while and other directors and she uh she uh help me out on that, on like setting up the movie. And we got in a great, great cinematographer who was a friend of Matt's from college named Jeremy Saulnier. He's not French despite his name. Um, and Jeremy was our DP and he, and the three of us kind of formed this team and made this film, um, this first film together and kind of Just, yeah, try to figure it out. We shot for three weeks and, you know, but again, it didn't go well when we shot it. It was difficult. And we didn't think the film could even be finished. And then it didn't get finished. Jeremy, you know, went on to become a a big director. He just, he directed the third season of True Detective. Oh, uh, wow. And he's got, you know, he's got a big movie now um, that he's doing for Netflix. He already did another Netflix film. Um, So you know yeah you know you just again fake it till you make it maybe that's going to be the motto of this this discussion but like i well, feel I know, like that's it's, what it's, we it's, did yeah
0: that's that's fantastic and then it's interesting that you mentioned richard brody because your films with matt increasingly got more ambitious bigger budgets and your last one you Solar's point um you released it in a much uh, different way than you did the first yeah. one. And Richard Brody, again, he Bro- wrote this Brody wrote a great piece rave there. review of yeah. it in The New York. Yeah, and again. kind of
1: did also just kind of a recap on Matt's work in general as a director and just said, and Matt's really kind of an important filmmaker and the American scene. And, you know, and this film is is one of his most important films. And, and yeah, Sower's Point was our first attempt to make like a, a real movie on a real budget. Um, you know, with with real actors, I hate to say it like that. Belushi. We, yeah, Belushi. we had we had we had you know we had a cast of Jim Belushi has done like 200 movies. who was definitely the most experienced. We had Zazie Beats, you know, was in Beats, Joker and right, yeah. Atlanta, and she came in for a few scenes. We had great some great character actors from New York, and our star was kind of a guy who had just done a few movies and was kind of like starting to be an actor yeah model actor but from baltimore not only from baltimore from the neighborhood close to where we shot the film dundalk which is the you know a suburb east of baltimore uh named mccall lombardi and you know and he was just terrific he was all in on the film and he really carried it you know it wasn't easy for him because it was really and the film was kind of almost for him autobiographical it's about a kid you know Like having trouble with his parents and just being kind of, you know, a bit of a rebel. Yeah, coming, yeah, the the story itself is a guy who gets back from jail. And it's one of the, it's, it's in a way, it's a classic, you know, you're going to go good or bad after getting out of jail. But it's more than that. It's really, it's Sower's Point is the name of the neighborhood where we shot the film or name of a street in the neighborhood. And it's really about this part of Baltimore, which, you know, got talked about quite a lot after we shot the film, which is like, You know the white working class neighborhoods of of America that have been, you know, disenfranchised and 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 stricken with drugs and violence and other problems. When we shot the film, this is summer 2016, so right before the elections, I had been coming. I came from France, you know, from, from Paris. I flew to Baltimore, and then I was there for three months for the production, and. I it was the first time I saw Trump signs on people's lawns. And, and you know, and I was and I remember we had actually because we had these these exterior shots on streets and we and there were people had Trump signs and we actually had to ask them to take them out because we didn't want the Matt, Matt specifically you didn't want it to be dated, to be way, dated yeah. and political and also to be kind of like a negative ver- vision of the, these people because Matt has a, Matt comes from that world to a certain extent and he really didn't want to kind of look down upon that world. So I remember going to, having to go to these people and say, would you mind just putting that Trump We're sign in the film? It doesn't <laughs> look movie. good for us. And, and, and I had conversations, and it was really like eye-opening for me because I had conversations with them. And for me, Trump was like the fucking the scumbag from New York. Like we all, any New Yorker grew up in the 80s, and that's what Trump is, yeah, right? he's the a known Scumbag, known real estate, like asshole
0: Sleazy and like, yeah it was yeah. like that
1: and i and they had such a different idea of trump than i had and i remember talking to them and they and, successful and, businessman yeah and the apprentice really yeah, from the tv apprentice. show and i was like and i would try to i would wouldn't try to change their mind but like hey just listen man like i'm a new yorker i grew up with trump i'm from queens like that's where he's from like he is not what he's pretending to be he does not care about the working class <laughs> at all and i was like you know we had some of them were really interesting it was very interesting to notice and i think it's something we're seeing even now in this election is that the, in the, in the white working class neighborhoods there were Trump signs or Bernie Sanders signs in but 2016 no Clinton signs. no Clinton signs and in the black neighborhoods it was all Clinton yeah, and that was something that I remarked upon, and we had to take out the Clinton signs. <laughs> we had to take out all right. the signs when we shot this film, but um, yeah, and so the film came out like a year later, it premiered in uh, San Sebastian in competition, the festival, and played a bunch of it's festivals. Right in Spain, yeah, and uh, you know, and we got released in about I guess ten or twelve countries. A great com- company in New in New York called the Stiloscope put it out, and. Uh, we had great reviews again, but the film also came out at a time when the art house market was, you know, struggling as it still is because of Netflix and because of, you know, this yeah, people not going to the movies as much as, as they did before, and so we didn't really have a lot of people coming to see the film, and that that was disappointing. But you know, we had a good run critically, and and, and yeah, and, and played a lot of different countries, and Matt, you know, toured with it for, for about a year.
0: Yeah, and also at the same time, you're kind of with the, in the best way what the French call it, toucha-tou. um <laughs> it, As you were doing producing films, doing your your, your journalism, um, and your accounting, you also have released over the past decade two beautifully published kind of like. Cult object uh, books on film, one on the director James Gray, like monographs mm. uh, on James Gray, and one on uh, this this French cinematographer Darius. Uh, published last year, Darius Kanji. Darius Kanji. Yeah, yeah, and these are like sought after collectible, beautifully published uh, objects that you designed, conceived, yeah. wrote. Well,
1: well, well uh, we we have. I mean, I wish I designed them, but we have really good book designers who did both books, different ones for each book. And the publisher was a friend of mine named David Frankel, who's a producer in Paris. He uh, he really got, went all in on, on the design. And I have to say me, like, I didn't really think about They're that. They're gorgeous books. They are. And, and I think a lot of people also get them for that. And I'm really happy about that. But that's really, I mean, once we get into the page by page thing, I'm like, oh, well, this picture might be good on this page and this that. But in terms of the concept of the design I didn't really care that much. I have to say I was just like interested in getting the text down and all that. But David was like, you know, and he was right at the time when we put out this James Gray book, which was you what know, year is it? I came out in 2011. Um yeah and it was like and he was like why are like art books and architecture books and fashion design books so good and film look so good so well designed and film books are kind of like bad looking Mm -hmm. and he wasn't wrong they're kind of very plainly because i don't think the people really care and he's like i want to make a a film book that looks like like a really good design book yeah i still remember when your
0: james gray book uh came out and it was in all of the 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 wonderful bookshops in paris as well as colette at the time yeah it it did way better than we thought i have to say because yeah, we re- didn't really have a lot of, we
1: were just we did it and it was again another case of fake it till you make it i never written a book and david i never published a how book how did this come about just well,
0: your your own uh, uh, passion for the cinema of james yeah, gray yeah
1: yeah cuz james gray i mean Going back to Queens again, James Gray is also a Queens boy, though he's lived in L.A. since he went to college there. He went to USC film school. But we, uh, but I was kind of fascinated from his films from a very young age, from like high school, because I'll tell you... What's quick, the first film of his you saw? Well, his first movie, which was called Little Odessa, which came out in 94, 95. Um, and, uh, and I have a very vivid memory. I was, I, when I was in high school, I worked at a bagel store in my neighborhood in Queens and i and i was always talking about movies i was like the movie guy i was a movie buff and this guy came in he used to come in sometimes this guy named danny like an older kid from neighborhood and he's like oh man you like movies like there's this kid named james gray who went to my my school james gray went to a a school (laughs) nearby and he's like he knows every movie by heart he's like a movie genius he's in la now he's gonna make a film and i was like who is this guy and the name stuck with me and that was like when i was 15 and then a, a year or two years later maybe little odessa came out and I saw it, and I was really blown away. Because not only was it a, just a really well-made first film, but it captured the essence of the bridge and tunnel experience, which was a kid from Brighton Beach. It's like another world, especially because of the Russian community yeah. there and the immigrants. And so I just thought it was a great film. And I followed his work since then. And when I got to France,
0: I realized that Grey was huge in France. He had a big following. He's uh, a Woody Allen type of director that is, could you say, even bigger in France than in America? I would say
1: even more so than Woody Allen, to his a certain extent because woody allen uh you know was nominated for oscars and you Mm -hmm. know some of his films made a lot of money gray you know his films have gotten a little bigger and more successful but he's always been somewhat of an outcast amongst the american film at least like film goers and stuff people don't really know him as well as they do in france he's like a
0: a house i was surprised by that when your book came out everybody yeah talked about him like I don't know, Steven Soderbergh or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's like definitely
1: for the French, he's a name like that. And I had, when his film Two Lovers came out, which is his fourth feature fantastic feature. Yeah, yeah. that was 2008. And when that came out in France, uh, or or he came maybe that year or the year after. To do a, a like a master class and i had never heard him speak before and i thought it was the greatest thing ever and he was so funny and like he had this great new york queen's accent and and really intelligent and i was like you know somebody needs to do a book with this guy and so i and i had gone with my friend david the publisher to see this talk and like probably a year later i was like hey like we should do a book on james gray and so he had a contact to gray and i remember we had, I had a, I wrote a long email to Gray, kind of asking him. Again, I'd never done this, but I didn't know how to do it. And I wrote an email, hey, do you, you want to do it? Fake it till you make it is Ex- the theme here. <laughs> it is, and so I wrote this email to him and, and he, we, he set up a conference call. And I remember it was really intimidating. It was like a, on a speakerphone in an office in Paris, David's office, Gray was in LA. And like, so he was just talking to the phone and he was basically like, why do you want to do a book about me? Because I'm, the, I'm not an interesting director.
0: <laughs> That's like, what he
1: said. Yeah, and he has a lot of, like, he, you know, self, uh, he likes self-denigrating, self you know. He's very critical <laughs> of himself, as I got to know. But I was like, and so we spoke for, like, an hour, and it, it, it was really not easy, um, I felt. But at the end of it, it seemed like, we started talking about pizza places and stuff in the neighborhood we grew up in because he grew up really close by and we had this, like, nostalgia. And so we kind of... That sealed the deal. And he said, yeah. And he said, listen, I'm supposed to do this film, like, in in December, and if but if I don't do it... I'll be available for a week. And so I flew to L.A. and I interviewed him. And then I wrote the book very quickly. And it came out like, you know, in September. I interviewed him in December and the book came out in September. Wow. So it was pretty quick, including all the design. And since then, you've you, you've kind of maintained a relationship. Yeah, he was in Paris for the this opera. He did uh, The Marriage of Figaro at the Théâtre de Champs-Élysées. And so he was in Paris for a few months. It was great. We got to hang out uh, a lot. And he and polices your pasta cooking techniques, he's right? He's an amazing uh, Italian cook. As a lot of Jews are, and he's a critical. He's a
0: critical cook, right? <laughs> oh yeah,
1: he was all over. I, I poorly cooked the pasta one night, one day, and he was not happy with that. But he's, <laughs> you know, I've. He's, he's famously gives Sunday night dinners at his house in Paris, in in uh, in LA, and he. Uh, and when when we got there to do the book, he invited me over you know we were gonna to start to book on monday but he's like come over for dinner something now you'll meet my family and there were some friends of his uh and i was like that was it re- was really one of the best pasta he made a uh, spaghetti bolognese <laughs> and it was high level and i was like oh this guy's got game on it you know he's very he's, but i i noticed that he's just kind of like serious almost in an autistic like very 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 detail-oriented concentrated like idiot savant, as they say like about Pasta cooking, as he is about his (laughs) about filmmaking. He has a precision here somewhere. I've been I've been on the set of uh of of two of his films, and uh, and just seeing him work and seeing the kind of focus and the detail, and I've been really blown away by that. And I wrote a few. I wrote a piece for Libération on the set of The Immigrant, and another piece for So Film, the magazine, Mm -hmm. on the set of uh, The Lost City of Z. And I just kind of kind of kind of hang with him on set for two days, and I was amazed by by like his knowledge and his kind of able to kind of like oh like that like where you and I are in the field and he'd be like you see that piece of wood over there? yeah it's not right you got to move it like three inches to the left and I'm like how does he even know what he knows and I was really blown away by that. It's intuitive you think or it's studied? I think yeah he's kind of it's more I well who knows the intuitive side but I say the studied side he's like he's got this crazy amount of focus and this crazy amount of kind of like obsession with things and so he's obsessed with getting the pasta right but he's also obsessed with getting the shot right in the film and i've seen him be pretty tough on crew because they weren't doing the right camera movement Mm -hmm. and you know that for me that's usually the sign of a good director i mean not only but you know a lot of the directors we love like hitchcock uh fincher polanski it's a certain kind of filmmaker but they're ones who have this crazy amount of precision and, and and attention to detail and it's and you see it on the screen and gray is
0: one of those directors as well and what links uh your or maybe there is no link between your your passion for james gray and then your passion for the cinematic world of darius kanji oh yeah who, who i mean his resume is crazy Cra- right yeah kanji is like because i've always you know
1: like a lot of film buffs there are a lot of film buffs who also love cinematography because it's that's part of the main thing in a film is the photography or else it's not a movie if there's no photos and there's no images that are moving and so darius is somebody who you know when seven came out when david fincher's seven every, a lot of people were blown away by the look of that film because hollywood movies back then didn't look like that you know this kind of very gritty but then at the same time these like highlights and this kind of gold but then this like neons it was just all this stuff and it just didn't know hollywood films didn't look like that at all and so i saw the film and i, I kind of noted his name darius kanji which is kind of a an interesting name he doesn't sound american like doesn't sound this french guy? either right no no because yeah he's actually iranian and well Fran- franco iranian but he was born in iran and so i fo- i kind of took his name down and i followed him you know over the years all like Gray, i'd follow what he did I, every time he shot a film i go see it and then You know, he had shot. Gray brought him on to shoot the immigrant, and I was on the set of the immigrant, and so I met Darius then. And then, you know, I decided to. I did an interview with him then for Cahiers du Cinema, the film magazine, and uh, and we kind of became close as well. And a few years after doing the Gray book, you know, actually several years, like six six years, I approached Darius with the idea, and he was also a little reticent in a different way, I think, than Gray. He was more reticent because he was like. You know he was—he's older, right? He's in the '60s, and he was like, "Oh, but if like if you do a book on me, it means like that's like the end of my career," <laughs> yeah. you know, and and so he was very, you know. And Darius is a workaholic, and he just shoots one film after another. Though he he does take his time to decide what he's gonna do, but when he does it, he really is all in. And he also, when he's not shooting a feature film, he shoots tons of commercials and music videos, and he just likes to shoot and work, and he's very active. And so that was probably what was hard about doing the book with him is I was just trying to catch him. He lives in Paris, but actually pinning him down, I'd have to he'd be between a shoot and I'd be like, Darius, I need, I need you for a week. This it's, was
0: a much more challenging
1: book. Oh yeah, I like, had to, first yeah. of all, I had to learn a lot more about cinematography because mm-hmm. I didn't know that much. You know, I knew basics, but so I, I studied up a little. And it was just different it's a much longer career and the idea of the book would be also to do kind of the history of cinematography over the last 40 years and in the main way that the change from film to digital because now all films are basically shot on digital unless you have the privilege of shooting on on celluloid on film and darius lived through that change and i wanted to kind of chronicle that in the book the evolution of of photography and the way films looked and darius is very opinionated he's you know he talks on on more I hate to use the word, but like more like an artist and a technician sometimes. And so he, you know, he really had a very strong idea about looks and he really, it's very instinctive, like an, like a painter working. And I, you know, so I learned a lot from him, but it, yeah, it took longer to do the book. And Darius was much more involved in the design. and I remember that, And yeah, yeah, and he really was, you know, and he, because, and I understand, it's like his work is how things look. So it doesn't, you know, the words are important, but it's also really important in the images. So, but it was great. He opened up his archives. We got tons of original images, Polaroids from the 70s. He's had an incredible career and worked with so many great directors and, and other actors and tons of people. And I, I learned a lot from that as well and in a different way from Grey because it was, you know, approaching film from, from, from a cinematographer's eye, yeah. not a director's eye. So it wasn't as much about story and, you know, writing and character. It was much more but about... the
0: film nerds, they really geeked out to this book, I remember, yeah. when it came out. Yeah, yeah. it was
1: also... We, same thing. We didn't think it would work. Because who's going to buy a book on a cinematographer? Because there are, there are fact, hardly any books that exist. Really. There are a lot of
0: people that wanted and to. And
1: it turned out that it, did, it did well. And, and, you know, very well internationally, too. It really, you know, we... Anybody into cinematography around the world was into it because it was, you know... There's not a lot of books, actually, that are accessible. There's a lot of books on cinematography that are very technical, um, but there's not a lot of books that kind of approach like one auteur, artist, slash cinematographer, which is somebody like Darius. And, you know, and I'm also still close with him. I saw him in New York in December. He was shooting a TV series. Uh, and he's great. He's just also a very warm person and really funny. Uh, he has very like New York Jewish sense of humor, I would say, even if he's like Iranian via Paris, uh, but, uh, and so we, we got along quite well. Yeah.
0: So what would be your third book in, 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 if you're going to like round out this series, <laughs> well, who would I, be your dream I, book I, for your I, third I, one? I thought about it. the thing is like, I think my books are also, I, I, I don't consider myself
1: honestly, like a brilliant film critic like I read really good film critics and they're so sharp and I don't think I like that so my books I think I've I've chosen to do two books that nobody has done so it's like so I think there was a kind of like novelty level of like nobody ever did a book on James Gray and suddenly there was a book and it was very comprehensive and everybody was into it. Same for Darius, same for cinematography in that sense. So I, I can't just do a book on Scorsese or somebody because right. it's been done before and I don't think I could do it as well as other people. But so I have to do something that nobody's done um, each time. Um, so, you know, I, I don't actually know because the, other, the thing of going back to another director – and like starting another director is just kind of like, I feel like I've done that. We do want to kind of uh, continue the book with James Gray because he's done uh, three more films since the last You can do a book. volume two, yeah. Yeah, you, or either extend the book or do a second part, kind of like the Godfather part two, but the, the James Gray book. And, you know, he's supposed to shoot a new film um, that was announced that I was supposed to shoot in the spring, but obviously none of that's happening. Um, and it was, taking, it was about basically a coming-of-age story in Queens where, where he and I grew up. And so I was really fascinated by that that film and that project. And I thought it'd be a great way to kind of like end the, the book or the series of the two books, because you're kind of going back to where you started. Because we start his book with talking about growing up in Queens and you end with a film that's basically portraying yeah, that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so we, we, you know, we wanted to go there, but now I don't know when he'll shoot it, you know, probably
0: not till next year. And so everything's delayed. Ordinarily, I would say, you know, till the next time, but I'm just gonna walk back home with you now from this field. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on Alrighty. Americans in Paris, Jordan. Thank you, see you See you at home. Thank you for listening today. The American Library in Paris has served English speaking readers in Paris and elsewhere since 1920. To read about its programs and events please visit AmericanLibraryInParis.org. Please check out program notes for this and all our episodes on the backslash podcast. Au revoir. See you next time.